Hello. Hey. Mm-hmm. And welcome to this podcast doesn't exist. Who are you? Oh, I'm Emma. I did it again. <laughs> it's okay. My brain went, what's my line? I... You're welcome for this Easter egg at the end of the podcast. <sighs> Depending how Emma edits. She is the hard job. I'm just here. Yeah, well, I've already lost this episode once, so. <laughs> Secrets. Secrets. All right. You want to try it again? Yeah. Hello. Hey. My name is Emma. And I'm Shannon. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. Yeah. I did it right. You did. Good job. (laughs) We're still, the training wheels are still on a little bit, but we hope you'll bear with us. Um, Welcome to our podcast. We're two best friends who like talking about weird, spooky, sometimes unusual, unsolved, adjective, adjective. Basically uh, anything that doesn't have an answer. (laughs) Yeah. We like talking about stuff and we're glad that you're joining us. Yeah. So, Emma, what are we learning about today? Today, we are learning about the Bermuda Triangle (laughs) and the mystery of Flight 19. No copyright infringement intended. Under 30 seconds. What is that from? The Twilight Zone? Am I making that up? No, maybe not. Because, I mean, it sounds familiar enough for it to be something that... We know. It's never a mystery. <laughs> we'll never know because Emma will never look it up. <laughs> All right. So the Bermuda Triangle. It's also known as the Devil's Triangle, but I genuinely didn't know that. Like I'd never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. So this is like the very first time after researching it that I, that I, it has another name other than the Bermuda Triangle. So we're just going to call it Bermuda Triangle. People love to blame stuff on the devil, though. It's very easy. I mean, I feel like rock music... <laughs> <laughs> Marijuana. Devil's lettuce. Yeah. People like blaming him. It's very, I mean, it's a favorite. Anyway, so the Bermuda Triangle is a mythical piece of the Atlantic Ocean. And I say mythical only because its bounds are very much not real. Um, its points are roughly Miami, Bermuda, and the northeastern edge of Puerto Rico, where San Juan is, um, and encompasses about 500,000 square miles of ocean and a myriad of unexplained phenomena within its bounds. So let's talk about the legend. So one of the first to sail through the area in recorded history was Christopher Columbus. (laughs) On his way to discover Hispaniola uh, because he didn't discover the continent of America. Beside the point. He reported that a quote, great flame of fire crashed into the ocean one night, and another strange light appeared in the distance a few weeks later. He also wrote of weird and incorrect compass readings. Aliens. Um, (laughs) Christopher Columbus was an alien, or...? No, like, he's on his boat coming to colonize. Boo. We hate it. And you see a flame of fire from the sky? I mean, I guess it could be a meteor, but aliens is more exciting. I don't know why he wouldn't just, like, see it and then go, oh, well... That's a message from God. I shouldn't be here. Turn around. No, I mean, he's a white man, so he probably would interpret <laughs> it as like, wow, this phenomenon happened just for me. Look how I'm pretty. special. <laughs> I mean, if popular media has taught us anything. Also, like, actual history is that a white yeah. man will not take a warning even when it shoves him in the face. I mean, it was a great ball of fire in the ocean in front of him. Isn't that an Elvis song? No, it's Johnny Cash. Oh. The burning ring of fire. Ring of fire. 
Great balls of fire. No, else. I, yeah. There's a, yeah. Is it Jimmy Buffett? I have no clue. <laughs> mom, tell me. Someone. <laughs> My mom was a parrot head. Oh. I think that's what they're called. Anyway, detour. Back yeah. to Christopher Columbus. Sorry. Um, well, we we actually can leave him be in the middle of the okay, ocean good. right now. Okay, um, So the origins of this concept are much more recent than Christopher Columbus. So in September of 1950, an article was published in the Miami Herald by Edward Van Winkle Jones. What a name. I really like his name. I really want, I feel like he should, she, he, I don't know how he ended up in print journalism when no. he should be running the family haberdashery. Right? Eddie Van Winkle Jones. <laughs> or a used car salesman. Yeah. Or both. I mean, as long as he's got a mustache, we're good. Do you want a hat and a car? You can have both. Is that what they sell at haberdasheries? I think so. I should know this. Ruth wrote about it in a story. <laughs> but anyway. Habitish. It's just fun to say. It is a very th- fun thing to say. My guess is that it's like an accessories store. Fancy people. Yeah. Anyway. So, our haberdashery proprietor, Eddie <laughs> Van Winkle Jones, um, suggested that unusual and unexplained disappearances were happening in the Bermuda area, and it was due to some spooky things. Spooky. Um... Because this is a few years after a lot of the notable incidents that we'll talk about soon have happened. Please title my biography, Notable Incidents. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> is, it, is it like a, a book of major jump cuts throughout your life? Yeah, we can, we can skip the boring parts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one wants to read that. I wonder if anyone's actually written a biography that was just... Like, it wasn't just boring things, but, like, they've just truly written out every aspect of life. I'm pretty sure his name is Walden. (laughs) No, that's where he stayed. Henry David Thoreau. (laughs) Clearly, I skimmed it in AP English. But it was really slow. A lot of of lakes and nature. (laughs) But you're right. (laughs) Yes, you're right. Thank you. Um, anyway, so two years later, so 1952, Fate magazine published an article titled, quote, Sea Mystery at Our Back Door by George Sand. Why are you laughing? It was Fate magazine. Yeah. And anytime anyone's brave enough to print back door <laughs> and not expect people to make it scandalous. I just, I'm sorry. 1952. Yeah, okay. People <laughs> had dirty imaginations in 1952. But the euphemism might not have been there. Oh, that's true. We'll get, uh, but I just want to say, for any of our dear, dear listeners, please know that it's like 8 in the morning <laughs> due to mysterious circumstances. We've had to reschedule our recording, so... Just enjoy we're, us. Uh, it's almost completely unfiltered, so we're free wheeling. I apologize to any of my family members who are listening to this. It's probably gonna get interesting. I don't. You will. You will get a good insight into who I am as a person this early in the morning. I I don't apologize particularly <laughs> for me <laughs> for any of it. Particularly, I don't apologize to your husband Jackson. Oh yes. Because he's used to you. He's also used to being up so early in the morning. He's got to take care of the horses. That's true. He's got to be out at the track. Yeah. He has before to train. the races. He has to train the new jockeys. Yeah. Because, you know, I love you, babe, but you work too hard, okay? Like. Truly. You got you to gotta leave some of the work to the bigger men. 
Is that a jockey joke? <laughs> I think it was a jockey joke. I don't know. All right, tell me about how the tall, How tall do you have to be to be a jockey? Like, I feel like... Or how short, I guess. A four foot 11. That's okay. how tall Kristen Chenoweth is. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's tiny. She her hair wears, is longer than her. She wears heels. Oh, that's fair. She hits really high notes. Anyway, tell me about Sorry. this triangle. Got distracted by my husband, the jockey. I mean, that's. I'm glad if you're being distracted by any man. That's true. It's your husband. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. So, see mystery at our back door. Mm-hmm. Take that as you will. But written by George Sand, which is a great <laughs> name for this. Um, but it covered the loss of several planes and ships in the earlier years. And he was the first to lay out the triangle that we know now with the bounds that we have. Um, so Miami, Bermuda, San Juan. Um, he was also the first to suggest that a true supernatural element to the disappearances of some craft, had, it, like it had something to do with it. I don't remember, because I, I tried to find an actual copy of this. I could only find, like, he wrote about it, but they didn't tell me what he wrote. Aww. So my That's guess good. is that, like, supernatural to him in the 19, like 1950s was, like, <gasps> aliens. I mean... When did, um, this is just revealing that I don't know anybody's names. Um, <laughs> was it Orwell who did War of the Worlds? Yeah. When, what year was that? Oh, that's a good question. I have no clue. I should know. I was in a reading of you it You were. At I watched it. I want to say it was like 48 or something. It's probably wrong. I mean, my guess is that it's somewhere around there. Because this is also the same time that like the men in black kind of... Yeah. theories are bouncing around all of the like government That's conspiracy fair. alien like sci-fi is yeah. becoming a big thing i feel like we so. need to go back into like our college libraries if we still have access and see if what is it fate magazine yeah it's in like a digital it probably is database i have tried, jstor <laughs> i have tried really hard to get back into jstor <laughs> just, you're a nerd i don't need to ask why yeah I, I've tried really hard to get into JSTOR from all three of my past institutions, and nope, nobody wants me wants me to look at JSTOR. <laughs> on a on a related note, but also a public service announcement, you should check with your local library. Oh, that's true. Your public library. I have also, three of those too. Support your local library and your librarians. Thank you. This a has lot been of, a PSA. A lot of the libraries that okay, so I have three library cards. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anyone. No. Um, but I rotate through them if, if I want ebooks because mm-hmm. a lot of the time they have like downloads for your like Kindle and things, and it works really well. But I again did that the other day and couldn't find a book that I wanted from any three, and I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, I use Libby with both oh, of yeah. my library cards, and if it do- if they don't have it, then I get the physical book. Yeah. But anyway, all right, moving on. So, several other writers within this same time frame, so 1950s, late 1950s, started to elaborate and connect certain crashes and unusual things within the triangle. Um, So, like, ghost ships and when things have happened and all that spooky stuff. Um, Some writers give different boundaries or even have the boundary include all the way up to the Irish coast. Which I find, I know, I find it funny. What? I don't, I don't understand why. My guess is that they're just like, well, spooky things happen in the ocean all the time. We don't know what anything okay, is. Okay, then it's not a triangle. Yeah, I, I was not great at math, but I could pass basic shapes, geometry. <laughs> Past preschool. I did, yes. But important question, what kind of triangle is it? Isosceles? 
acute. My, my guess is that it's mostly... <laughs> my guess is that it's mostly equilateral. That is mm. not a word that I could get out easily. Equilateral. Um, mostly because of the space that it's in. Like, the spaces that the points are are fairly equidistant anyway. So Minus Ireland. Minus Ireland. My, I think what they've done for those people who think that way is just taking the top point, like where Bermuda mm-hmm. is, and just look yeah. <laughs> That sounds good. <laughs> when you're when you're on Microsoft PowerPoint or whatever, and you're like inserting a shape, and you're like, Whoop. and Clippy goes, "Can I help you?" Oh, Clippy! Remember Clippy, everybody. I, I if you do, you're old. Yeah, I loved Clippy. You're not old. You're just One older. Of us. One of us. Um, I remember in computer lab in like I don't know elementary school. When I, when I went to Catholic school and there was a nun who was our computer teacher, she was great. I don't remember her name, Sister Something. You can call her Sister Something. It's a great drag queen name. <laughs> Sister Something. <laughs> like something. Like something an apostrophe. An apostrophe. Um, but anyway, so she, she loved Clippy and she had like a large cutout of Clippy on our, on our wall. And it was like raise your hand if you need any help kind of thing. It was really cute. R.I.P. Flippy. I know. I loved that. All right. So in any case, we're not going to include Ireland or the Irish coast um, in any of what we're going to talk about. We're just going to maintain the established line, the negotiated fact of just Bermuda, Florida, Puerto Rico. So moving on to notable incidents. You're Biography. Autobiography? Well, or would you like me to it write depends. it? It depends. I guess it depends how long I'm around, how I go out, <laughs> mysterious circumstances. This is, this is the second time that you've mentioned <laughs> you've mentioned if I go out early. Look, <laughs> I just think the world is a scary place. And we should all anticipate that we may die. Yeah. Respect I mean, respect nature. To, but respect the world, respect nature. Um this couch is so yeah, this is a pillow. It's, okay. No, just tons of, it, just a giant futon. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank you, Jeffrey. All right, so most of these are military craft, and it's just because of the area that it's in. So Fort Lauderdale is very nearby. You can go right off the coast of Florida, the end of Florida, and be in the Bermuda Triangle. Um, so. Florida. <laughs> the first is the USS Cyclops. Um, the military. This is when this was a military ship that was lost carrying a full load of manganese ore, and 309 crew members went missing without a trace in 1918 after departing from Barbados. Um, and this also marks the largest loss of life in the history of the U.S. Navy in a single incident. Yeah, what? 309 people? It's like too many people. <laughs> it's a bit. It's a bit much, honestly. Um, what? Like I. Mm. But 1918. Okay, 1918. So they probably didn't have large-scale rescue efforts the way we would now. No, and I'm I'm not sure how large the Navy was at this point because this is at the end of the First World War. So my guess is that like after being in war, these ships are using being used as like you know to transfer stuff. I don't know. I'm not military. I'm not from 1918. In any case, 309 people gone. They have no clue what happened. Their guess is that it was just too heavy, that manganese ore was too heavy for the boat, and it sank. But you'd think that someone would have, like, out of 309 people, like, people survived the Titanic, why not 309 right. people? Oh, yeah. 
also where were they getting where were they picking up and dropping off you know what i mean like i mean barbados to where like i don't know where they were headed interesting so anyway the next is the carol a deering carol is in lewis carol not lady carol it was a five-masted shooter that was found ground and abandoned near Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, on January 31st, 1921, possibly connected to piracy and the illegal rum running trade during Prohibition. Now, it's not necessarily within, like, the, the ship wasn't found within the bounds of the Bermuda Triangle, but it had passed through, a, like, majority of the days before, because that's where mm-hmm. it was coming from. So, so we got hitchhiking ghosts. Potentially, um, my I don't really understand. Like it was, so it was found aground and abandoned on rocks. Mm-hmm. How would you not know that the rocks are coming? Like, why would you not like I don't maybe. know stop? <laughs> I don't know how you stop a shooter. <laughs> maybe it was foggy. I don't know. Well, and they have they had a uh, a light boat, which is like for spaces like that where it's really rocky. They have instead of like a lighthouse, they have a light boat. That's near the edge so that boats know not to go that far. And the night before, they had, the Carol A. Deering had like flagged down this light boat and said, hey, tell the company that we've lost our anchors in a storm, the company that they were working for, the Deering company. And they were like, okay, radio wasn't working at that point. So they were like, we'll, we'll pass it on in the morning, figuring, you know, they're going to survive the night. Like, it wasn't their thought. And then the next day, they found them completely aground and abandoned, and all of their stuff was gone, too. So that makes me think that maybe not piracy. Yeah. Pirates don't necessarily let you keep your stuff. Right? Or your life. Right? Unless you're joining their crew. Wait, is this boat still there? <laughs> no, they Aww. they blew it up. Because <laughs> they were like, well, we can't get rid of it by like taking it apart because it's in the water and it's against right. the rocks so they just kind of like blew it up and locals actually grabbed um, a lot of the wood that was drifting to shore to hmm. build their houses so there's actual houses on like Cape Hatteras in North Carolina that have pieces of the Carol A. Deering well that shit's haunted yeah <laughs> that that needs to go on our merch I think that ish is haunted that ish is haunted because I feel like we're going to say it a lot. Yeah. All right. The next is the Star Tiger and the Star Ariel. Um, and I'm going to include the Douglas DC-3 in this. Um, they were all passenger aircraft that were all lost within the triangle. Um, the Star Tiger and the Star Ariel were lost a year apart, both in January, one in 1948 and one in 1949. And the Douglas DC-3 was a 32-passenger plane, so a tiny plane. Tiny. No, thank you. Tiny, tiny plane. Hard pass. Anything to do with planes. No, thank you. Um, but it was coming from San Juan, and it disappeared in December of 1948. Um, so almost, it well, yeah, it was a month before the Star Ariel, too. But there's no evidence of any of these. Like, there's no debris. There's no anything of what happened. Mm. So that's not fun. And then we have the KC-135 Stratotankers, which were a pair of U.S. Air Force Stratotanker aircraft. Um, And in 1963, they collided with each other and crashed 300 miles west of Bermuda. But they were like, they were a pair that were supposed to be like flying in tandem or something. There was some Mm -hmm. kind of like training thing going on. 
And one of them just like turned tail and crashed with the other, collided with the other. But the, the Air Force was like, oh no, there were two different crash sites, but there was truly only one. Like they genuinely could only find one with mm-hmm. both remnants of the mm-hmm. airplanes. So we know that they collided with each other. Odd, especially if you know that you're working in a pair. My guess is that in 1963, your radios are good enough that you can like talk to each other. Also, do you have eyes? <laughs> I'm sorry. I will never fly a plane. I don't like heights. Machines sometimes confuse me. Um, but I'm pretty sure, based on every plane I've ever seen, that there's a giant windshield in the front. Yeah. That you could see a That's... plane. And you said they, these are smaller, right? They're yeah, I mean, like they're straddle tankers. So 747. they're... No, no, no. They're, they're fairly small. So if you small. wanted to, like, pull up... Like, it would to take... To avoid yeah. a plane. I'm not quite sure you know, what the details are. You know, professional opinion. All right, so let's get into flight 19. All right, hold on. Let me... I'm ready. Okay. She's, she's preparing herself. She's sitting up. I'm readjusting. Yeah. Play by play. Okay. Yes. Um, so flight 19 is the, one of the most notable incidents of the Bermuda Triangle, and it is my favorite. So flight 19 is what a group of five Avenger torpedo bombers were referred to. Um, so it's like actual five planes, but the group oh, itself... Like a flight of beer. It's multiple sure. glasses. <laughs> it's probably where so that multiple comes from. Planes. Sure. Yes. Um, but these bombers were on a U.S. Navy navigation training flight in December of 1945 from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and it had a 14-man crew. So there were three men on each plane, but it should be 15, mm-hmm. but one of the um, techs, so it was a pilot and two techs, one of the techs on one of the planes begged off. He was just like, I can't go today. And so they were like, well, we'll we'll go without you. I have a feeling that he's a lucky guy. Yeah, I like, couldn't like find the, his name anywhere. Like so. the people that got sick and didn't catch their flight on 9-11 or yeah, whatever. Oof. Yeah. So, yes, he's a very lucky man. But they went up with 14 instead of 15 because they figured it's fine. So the training was a combination of bombing and navigation, which had been completed by other aircraft earlier and was scheduled to continue with other aircraft throughout the day. So they leave at about like, I think it's like four o'clock. The navigation of the route they were taking was intended to teach the pilots what is called dead reckoning, um, which is a process of calculating one's current position by using a previously determined position or fix and using the estimations of speed and course over elapsed time. So they're supposed to be able to know, okay, because we just passed this portion and it took us this long, this is where we are on the map. So dead reckoning is just trying to orient yourself and where you are. Like old school, no tech, like less technology. Yeah, so you have a compass, you have your watch, that's all you really need. So. There was a lack of timekeeping equipment on board because every pilot had their own issued watch. And everyone has their whole kit. They've checked out the, all the planes to make sure everything was good because they have to. They have to follow procedure. Um, so from Fort Lauderdale, the exercise flew east to complete the bombing operation um, and then headed toward the uh, bottom of Grand Bahama Island. So they're basically just going due east. Like, they're they're not trying to make any, like, 
go south and then go north and all that. They're just going due east to Grand Bahama Island. Um, They were supposed to turn up over the island and then head back to Fort Lauderdale. So they go due east, north to go over the island, and then southwest to go back to Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. So just a tiny little triangle. They're not supposed to do anything crazy. So the base and other aircraft heard the radio conversations between the pilots, and 40 minutes after the last bomb drop was requested and given permission, because that that's what you had to do to make sure that everyone knew this is going cleanly, this is going smoothly, um, and the bomb drop was happening in between Fort Lauderdale and Grand Bahama Island, so it was happening in the ocean. Uh, not real bombs. Fake bombs. <laughs> but, like, it, 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 they're trying to make sure that they all know what they're doing. So, after... The last bomb drop was requested and given permission. Another flight instructor was forming with his students for the next flight. Um, and same same mission, because they're doing multiple of these a day. And he overheard a transmission from an unidentified crew member of Flight 19. The unidentified crew member asked Powers, who was one of the students, a pilot, of Flight 19 for his compass reading. And Powers replied that he didn't know where they were and quote, we must have got lost after that last turn. Okay, you've gone due east. There's only like one turn. There's maybe two, because you're oh, going yeah. north right. over the island, and then you're going southwest. Mm-hmm. So there's not many not many turns you can make a wrong turn at. Also, you're supposed to be learning dead reckoning. Mm-hmm. So how are you that lost? Anyway. So the flight instructor on the ground asked Powers to identify himself so that they could help him. The response instead was a request from the others on the flight for suggestions of what to do. So he's not answering the instructor on the ground. Mm -hmm. The instructor tried again, and another member of the flight named Taylor, who was the one who was leading the flight, Mm. answered. And when asked what the trouble was, he replied that both of his compasses were out and he didn't know where he was. He said, quote, I am over land, but it's broken. I am sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down, and I don't know how to get back to Fort Lauderdale. Now, the Keys are on, like, the southern tip of the Floridian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. They have gone east from Fort Lauderdale, which is, like, it's at the bottom of the peninsula, but it's on the eastern side, mm-hmm. and it's far enough up that you, like, at what point do they truly go south like I, my guess is that they're because they go due east then they go north over the island and then they're supposed to go southwest back to fort lauderdale maybe he thinks we've gone too far south and west that we've hit the keys but, it, but how far east did you go right so anyway so it, it regardless the the keys are far away from where they're supposed to be mm-hmm. and far enough away that if you couldn't necessarily get lost you would have had to cross the the bottom of the peninsula anyway mm-hmm. unless you like hung a hung a left a right i don't know <laughs> i'm not a pilot okay so the instructor tried his best to give a sense of direction using the sun to taylor so he said get the sun over this wing and you'll know that's your direction, you'll be able to find your way back. Base operations then tried to get the flight leader, Taylor, to respond to whether or not his aircraft had a standard IFF transmitter that could be used to triangulate the flight's position, but it wasn't initially acknowledged. So all of these planes are supposed to have IFF transmitters. Mm -hmm. They're standard in these planes, but they can't do anything with it until he confirms 
yes and puts it on like a i guess a blinking frequency yeah frequency something. that they can pick up i was gonna say blinking mode that's not what i mean <laughs> so taylor was asked to switch frequencies to a search and rescue one but he replied quote i cannot switch frequencies i must keep my planes intact which i'm guessing means that he wants to make sure that he can still be in contact with the rest of the flight mm-hmm. but i don't know how any of that works i don't know there was no clarity on this phrase that he's mm. saying he was asked again to turn on a transmitter if he had one but he again didn't reply a few minutes later taylor advised his flight to quote change course due east for 10 minutes and at the same time someone in the flight said quote damn it if we could just fly west we would get home head west damn it so obviously there's 14 people two potentially powers and taylor because neither of them know where they are are out so we have 12 people Mm -hmm. who might be able to use dead reckoning to figure out where we are Mm -hmm. obviously one of them thinks we should go west which is exactly where they're supposed to be going Mm -hmm. so well also like if they go west even if they're at the wrong latitude is the horizontal one right Versus longitude is the horizontal latitude's vertical oh. well then if they're at the wrong longitude still if they go west they're gonna hit land eventually yeah because if right? you like, think if you're you don't, in the if keys you, if you miss florida you're gonna <laughs> hit texas, texas. or yeah. mexico you know what i mean versus east is an ocean yeah. You know, I'd like if you're totally confused, wouldn't you rather get over land? Right? So you can reorient yourself. And radio into a tower there and be like, we're lost. Can we land here? <laughs> like, Basically, yeah. No, that's a very good point. Because it's, it, it is, if he thinks that, that they're in the Keys, he truly can't, like if he, if he thinks they're in the Keys, going east for 10 minutes would get them over the peninsula of Florida. Mm-hmm. Okay. That we can assume. But you're right. Like, if he just heads west, yeah, they're going to be in the Gulf for a little while, but you'll be at least able to figure out, oh, there's Louisiana, there's Texas, got it. I will now know exactly where I need to go, and hopefully you have enough gas to get you there. But I just, I... Planes. (laughs) (laughs) Not, I was going to say. But (laughs) I, this is where I just get so anxious in cases, particularly in the military, where the hierarchy is observed when it's maybe not the best for everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, what is it? N- not a cadet, but like whatever the rank of this person in training was like, go west, damn it. Like, he's an underling compared to these other guys. That's so what I'm guessing. So, yeah. I just... I know. It stresses me out because I feel like something bad is going to happen based on what you've said. But you know it is because it's a Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. But I just, like, what if they had listened to that guy? Or even if it was, like, self-preservation. Right? But I guess that's not a thing in the military. It's all about the unit. I guess. Or the flight. Well, and this is right after the Second World War. Like, it has just ended. Right? Because it's... Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it's 1945. Yeah. So I wonder if these guys that are training are really young. 
that's my assumption, especially if it's training for like dropping bombs and yeah. like dead reckoning stuff. Like the war's already over. You're now trying to make sure that everything you've learned that we're prepared. Yeah. But like so. I'm sure that make it, that would make it more challenging if you're some like yeah. 19, 20 year old kid compared to some older commanding yeah. officer. Like talking peer to peer versus to yeah. your like literally commander. Quite more difficult to literally fly in the face of authority. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. So they have now potentially, we don't actually know, changed course due east. So weather was starting to deteriorate and radio contact was becoming spotty. Mm -mm. So things are getting worse. And Taylor radioed, will fly 270 degrees west until landfall or running out of gas. And then he requested a weather check. So he's now recalibrating to go west until landfall. So they've gone far out east. The assumption is that they have already gone over the Grand Bahama Island. Mm -hmm. And he's seeing other islands and assuming that they're the keys so mm-hmm. he's going east and then finally he decides let's turn around and go west but at 270 degrees so he's calibrating for potentially going further up because he mm-hmm. thinks maybe we've gone too far down mm-hmm. as well as too far east he asked for a weather check weather's bad 30 minutes later, the flight was triangulated to being within a 120-mile radius off the coast of Florida above the Bahamas. So they've figured out, you're within this circle. Mm -hmm. We know that you're somewhere in here. And you're close. Mm -hmm. You're not that far away. You just need to turn west and come home. Like, it's not, you're not gonna die out there if you listen to us. At 6.04... Four hours after the flight mission was started. So I think I said earlier that it started at four. I think it actually started at two. I don't remember. But Taylor radioed his flight saying, quote, we didn't fly far enough east. We may as well just turn around and fly east again. So at this point, they're going west. He thinks we didn't fly far enough east. So we may as well turn around and keep going east. Just go to Texas. (laughs) If you think that that's where you are, Seriously, just keep going. So the sun at this point had set because it's December. Oh, so great. like it's it's like six thirty ish. So the he sun can't is even set. he can't even see Louisiana and stuff, even if it was there. Yeah, they're up in the clouds now. Like they they have n- no idea. So Taylor's last message was received around seven p.m. when he was heard saying, "Quote: All planes close up tight. We'll have to ditch unless landfall." When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. And they weren't seen again. <laughs> I'm so mad. She's very mad. <laughs> I'm just... What? Yeah. Yeah. So, as it became obvious the flight was lost, everyone was alerted, and a few flying boats were sent to search and hopefully rescue the flight of 14 men. So the flying boats are the ones with, like floaties on their feet <laughs> oh, okay gotcha <laughs> i don't know how better to describe it so a martin pbm5 mariner was one of these and it was called it, it, it like went out from further up the coast of florida on the eastern side it was fairly close to where they had triangulated that 120 mile radius 
and it called in a routine radio message at 7.30 on its way to search for the flight. And then it wasn't heard from again. <laughs> a tanker reported it observed flames from an apparent explosion at 10.15 p.m., and it searched for survivors within the rubble. Rubble, not really. It's in the water. Within wreckage. all of the wreckage. Thank you. It's a good word. But it was unex- unsuccessful. So they didn't find anybody. It was assumed that this was the Martin Mariner as, like, the contact not necessarily being radioed to and from, but that they knew where its position was. Um, They had lost it at that time. So the Navy had a lot of investigating to do. (laughs) Yeah. They guessed that Taylor just mistaked one island for another and was actually over the Bahamas, as was scheduled, and with his compass out. And his assumption was that he was over the Florida Keys, mistakenly led his squad east out into the open water, and when they tried again to go west, they instead went northwest and ran parallel to Florida rather than making landfall. So they basically had Florida too far off on their left-hand side that they couldn't see it over the horizon, Mm -hmm. and they just kept going up. Mm -hmm. So they most likely crashed into the open ocean after running out of fuel, based upon the last (laughs) transmission. So my question then is why no one else in the flight? Like, was it really that important to maintain the military hierarchy? Yeah, really. Uh, uh, well, here's here's my hypothesis. Okay. Which you may be, I don't know. I'm just going to share with you. That's okay. But That's because, great. like, it let's remove an element of supernatural for now. Mm-hmm. I feel that it would not be out of the realm of possibility in this time period in this hierarchy this structure that one especially like post world war ii we're almost to the 50 like there's a very particular idea culturally of what like a man is supposed to be yeah and how they're supposed to not be weak and things it would not be out of the realm of possibility to me for what's the main guy's name? Taylor. Yeah, he's the like if there if he right. had something going on, whether it was like a health situation or a substance abuse situation that he'd like kept under wraps, he has some sort of episode that makes him disoriented, and then people are just covering for him or something. Yeah, because he does have they. There are three men in each. Right. In each, I almost said train. <laughs> it's a flying train. It's a flying train. Um, there are three men in each plane, one of whom is the pilot. I just, the Except way anyone. the way you were describing the radio transmissions just felt so similar to me to when people call 911 and the operator is trying to, like, calm them down and they are so scattered, in shock yeah. or pretending to be, in some cases, like... They aren't addressing the questions. It seems like he was very sporadic. But then I guess that other guy also didn't know what was going on. Yeah, Powers... So, Powers was the first one initially who answered anyone. And he didn't know where they were either. Mm -hmm. So, if Powers and Taylor didn't have anything on, like, where they were... Like, if if both of their compasses are out, if, like, their equipment is truly out... There are three other planes. Right. Also, you're literally... The homework of this assignment (laughs) is to be able to get places without a compass. That's just some dramatic irony. Yeah, that it... I mean, I don't know if it was... 
because dead reckoning when you're trying to like figure out just how far far you've gone i think it has more to do with time than it has to do with Mm -hmm. like where your compass is like you should know okay we were headed east so long as i know that the other way is west (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Which, I've never and, done it. And but... when they started, the sun was still up, so they could yeah. know what was east and west. Well, and the flight wasn't supposed to take any longer than like right. an hour and a half, two hours. Like, and that's long. And they were out for almost five hours before they got that last transmission. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's just. I mean, I'm sure stuff was not released for a while but just imagine you're like the mom or the wife of some of these like and you uh just to know that somebody was like no let's just go west and they were all like nah we're just gonna keep on going that's so (laughs) infuriating and frustrating and i'm like screaming this feels like the kind of movie that i would be so anxious and mad to watch but also so fascinated yeah like i feel that way about the everest movie that they made about 1996 like i don't remember that oh it's such a good movie okay it's got like Keira knightley and jake john hall Keira knightley and it's and... not a, like super historical thing no she is from new zealand i think oh she's like barely in it she's like the pregnant wife of one of the climbers Oh. Anyway, highly recommend if you... I'm going to have to watch that now. Yes. Also listen to or read John Krakauer's book because he survived it and it's I think, insane. I think we were supposed to read that for like ninth grade. Oh, you should something. have. I I'm think we so did. jealous. I think we did. Well, we had a choice. I remember this because it was like our summer reading and we had a choice. Oh, between... Summer reading was always more fun. Yeah. <laughs> they were trying to trick you. Yeah. So it was that book by John Krakauer, or it was this book about these uh, twin old ladies and their, like, life together. I don't remember because I didn't read it. (laughs) I read the John Krakauer one, but I don't remember much from it, so my guess is that I didn't necessarily read it as skim it. I mean, yeah, summer reading. Anyway, the point of all that to say is that I, it's one of those things where you go in knowing the end result. Yeah. But you just, like, this happens to me all the time when I read or watch historically based pieces. Yeah. I get so furious. I'm like, just, just put more lifeboats on the Titanic. <laughs> As if me being mad at a TV screen can change history. Yeah, um, I hate the Titanic movie. Oh, really? I can't watch it. Oh. I can't. I don't, I think it's genuinely because... I mean, I'm sure there's some kid trauma in this of, like, seeing it on, like, TV. Um, but that scene of it cracking in half and everyone falling off of it. Mm. Well, it's like when we went to go see... So we saw Titanic, the oh, like, yeah. musical. The musical. Um, a few years ago now. Not based on the movie. No, it's based on the actual events. But it's, like, it's very well done. It's absolutely gorgeous. But, like, when they... There's... Spoiler alert. I don't know how many of you are going to go and it see crashes. the musical. <laughs> it crashes, but they have people on like from the boat, especially like the staff, mm-hmm. and they have them fall from the ceiling on like wires because this, this was a theater. This production, yes. They had them fall from the ceiling, and one of them was directly in front of us, and I had not noticed him when he was up in the rafters, obviously like getting ready, which is great, you know, musical yeah. magic. 
but seriously, like him dropping had that then again had that scene in my head, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm never watching this movie again. I can't stand it. I can't. It makes me so like you're so funny. I think because you love listening and reading, listening to and reading things about traumatic or violent events, but you cannot watch them, which cracks me up. Like, I'm like, oh, watch this TV show. And you're like, oh, it's too gory for me. I'm like, you listen to podcasts about murder. Yeah. No, I I think it's because once I have the visual in my head, I can't get rid of it. You're a very empathetic person. I can't can't do it. (laughs) Well, that's the only reason that I'm so interested in all of this stuff, I think. It's because I just want to know why. Yeah. Well, you're going to be really frustrated, I think, throughout (laughs) the course of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. We have no answers. Absolutely none. Anyway, I want them to make a movie about Flight 19 if there isn't one. It's kind of like hinted at in some popular culture and i don't remember if it's a tv show or if it's a movie but they somehow have the entirety of flight 19 picked up by like an alien creature and like dropped off in the middle of the sahara desert that would be preferable yeah so there's some of that their names are different their names aren't the same as they Mm. like truly were they're like different but it's the events are the same just picture like Chris Pine, Army Hammer, um, Anthony Mackie, like all these. Oh, Anthony Mackie. I mean, I don't know if that would be historically accurate. I don't care. In terms of like care. racial integration of the Navy. But just like a Top Gun sort of thing, yeah. but it's sad. It honestly, it honestly <laughs> would be really good though. If like, if they had like an, like if they didn't leave it hanging of like, oh, they're gone. Like if it was like a whole build up up to that event and then it's gone, I would love it to start with the event and then have them like trying to get back and like time warp and all of that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll write this later. All right, we'll write a screenplay. Thanks for workshopping this with us, everyone. Thanks, you guys. So that's the end of Flight 19. Mm. Yeah. So the the explosion of the... Oh, right, the rescue plane The rescue plane... It's assumed that because this plane had been reported to having leakage earlier, you gotta be me. and so they just filled it up all the way. They were like, fine, it's fine. He just needs enough gas to get there. And 13 people were lost. <laughs> Military efficiency is my favorite oxymoron. Yeah, so. And I'm allowed to say that because my dad and my stepmom are <laughs> in the service. And we're also both military kids. <laughs> yes. I just... So, you know, we un- I my mean, stepmom is, she's got people now. I don't want them coming no, after me. No, but she's also a badass. So it's she true. probably understands a lot of the inner workings of all that, too. True. Um, in the, okay. In any case, let's move on to the potential natural explanations of the Bermuda Triangle things. So the first is, of course, basic human error. And the chance of getting lost at sea, which is fairly high. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all know that it's going to be you know, the entirety of the ocean. There's going to be some basic human error that results in tragedy. That's the baseline we're working with. The next is violent weather. So this area is very prone to hurricanes and like water cyclones and like extreme storms. So... That is not unusual. And it also, like, the weather was bad during the day of the fl- of Flight 19. Mm-hmm. So 
and it, it's variable. Like it's it's like living in the middle of Illinois too. It's like the the sun could be up and it could be bright and cloudless, and then within two hours, it's like a huge rainstorm. Like that's mm-hmm. just the way that all of that works down there. We also have methane hydrates, which then I wrote ocean farts because <laughs> I thought it was funny, um, which is due to continental shifts or continental shelves shifting. Um, and then forming bubbles, methane bubbles, that can decrease the density of water, which once you decrease the density of water, what's supposed to sit on top of it, like a boat, will sink because the density is decreased. Mm. And mm-hmm. so it, this has led to the possibility of like sinking ships that are like suddenly sink, like with no explanation. Mm. So is it sort of like, like quicksand but water like you're you're going along in your boat and then it's like yeah although i've learned that quicksand doesn't work that way oh isn't that weird apparently quicksand the princess bride lied to me oh it's so lied to you don't tell me it yes but like for quicksand like if you if you move quickly on it you can get over it (laughs) but if you stand still that's when you start to sink all right, quick feet, quick feet, everybody, right? quick feet. So, but yes, the what we right. assumed as children as like quicksand, of what we hoped quicksand would be, like and, a sinkhole in the ocean. Then yes, okay, yeah. All right, ocean farts, got it. Ocean farts. The next is the Puerto Rico Trench, which reaches about thirty thousand one hundred feet of depth, which is so far down. Um, and it makes it almost impossible to recover sunken ships or downed planes in the area ever again because it is so far down. So if anything sinks and it sinks all the way, mm. then you're never finding it's like it. Like a garbage disposal of the ocean. Basically, it's one of the deepest places in the ocean. The Mariana Trench, a trench, I think, is the only other deep Dang. portion of the ocean that competes with it. Competes. <laughs> They're fighting over all of the ghost ships. Anyway, there are tons of ships and planes, I'm sure, down there. Mm. So there's, t- there's stuff down there, let's say. The last is compass variations, um, which may be tied to some unusual magnetic anomalies in the area, but this hasn't been proven, and a lot of skeptics are like, magnetic anomalies are not a thing. Whatever. Compasses have magnetic variations in relation to their magnetic poles, and so if you find the one portion of like the one section of earth where the compass meets true north because it moves the the um alignment moves uh true north around the globe but if you find that with your compass and it meets true north and they match up it can cause a shift so that when you move away from it from either side it's still trying to pull that compass towards it and so it can vary up to like 20 degrees before it finally like breaks free of it and like recalibrates Mm. so at one point this happened in christopher columbus's time within the bermuda triangle which is probably why his compass readings were really off there's also the possibility that because i don't know if they track it i'm sure they do now Um, And when you circumnavigate the globe now, people who do that often, they account for this. And so they know it's going to happen. But I don't know where the true north line was Mm -hmm. in 1945. 
So maybe it was back in the Bermuda Triangle and was making things screwy and making Taylor think he was in the Florida Keys. Possibility. But it can completely warp your sense of direction if you have no clue what's coming. Mm-hmm. So let's move into the unnatural explanation attempts. <laughs> Our own little Twilight Zone. I like it. Uh, that's Twilight Zone, right? Mm. Okay. Um, so, number one, my favorite, Atlantis. Mm. <laughs> and its leftover technology might be messing with these magnetic fields and the new tech. So Atlantis is sometimes connected to a submerged rock formation off the island of Bimini in the Bahamas, which is within the bounds of the triangle. Um, And the thought is that there are some Atlantean devices that used the magnetic field at one point and so are latent now and are potentially messing with the magnetic field within Mm. those bounds. I love Atlantis, the movie and the theory. (laughs) (laughs) He was, Milo was my very first it wasn't first he was my second movie crush and he's a cartoon if you haven't seen atlantis please watch it is that why you named your cat milo yes it is (laughs) (laughs) it genuinely is why my cat is named milo i love him i i love the like goofy nerd he's so cute Stay tuned for our Atlantis episode for Seriously. more thoughts on on the movie as well as the, on Emma's feelings <laughs> as well as the theory. Anyway, so there is another thought that the triangle is used as a portal for UFOs to travel to and from our planet, hmm. and the area is more like a gathering station for them to conduct re- conduct research on people, ships, aircraft, tech, whatever they feel like. I don't know why they would choose the triangle as this like portal rather than like I don't know Texas it's more it's more popular I don't know mm-hmm. maybe it's like a vision visual thing of like making sure nobody sees them mm-hmm. no clue the other thought is that there is a space-time warp where there's a rift in space and time and things get lost and are never found again because they're somewhere else in the universe or somewhere else in the time like line I like that option I do too then maybe they just flew into the rift and Flight 19 got to grow old somewhere <laughs> in a different timeline. Yeah, sad but alive. Yeah. Yeah. At least they have each other. Hello. What is it? Uh, Anthony Mackie and Chris Pine? Or... Yeah. <laughs> We're just happy they have each other. Yeah. <laughs> like a band of brothers. <laughs> All right. So the last one, which is the most interesting theory that I've found Um, because it's ghosts, so I really like it. Um, So this is the souls of slaves theory, that this portion of the ocean, which was a key throughway during the slave trade, is haunted now by ghosts of stolen people who were tossed overboard to defraud the insurance companies of the sea captains, who would then cash cash in this insurance claim to collect money for property thrown overboard, which is awful to think about but this thought was produced by psychiatrist dr kenneth mccall of brooklynhurst in england and he wrote a book called healing the haunted and he said because he went after while i don't know if it was while he was writing this book or before um but he was traveling through the area i guess to maybe figure out what was going on here um and he said quote as we 
drifted gently in the now warm and steamy atmosphere, I became aware of a continuous sound like mournful singing. I thought it must be a record player in the crew's quarters, and as, I con- as it continued through the second night, I finally, in exasperation, went below to ask if it could be stopped. However, the sound down there was the same as it was everywhere else, and the crew was equally mystified. So he's hearing this, like, sad singing mm. that doesn't stop within the Bermuda Triangle. Mm. Like, it's just so sad. Mm-hmm. But he later learned about the defrauding and cruelty in the 18th century from these sea captains and believed that this was the cause of the Triangle's mysterious disappearances. So, like, paranormal activity, basically. Not necessarily retaliation, but more so just they're there. Mm -hmm. And adding to the energy of the space, all of that. So, what do we think? My thought is that, like, especially for Flight 19... There's some kind of weird human error thing going on that's Mm -hmm. added into all of the hierarchy and the potential, like, I can do this by myself kind of feeling. Um, But also, like, the reason why we haven't found them is maybe because of the Puerto Rico Trench, Mm because I don't know where they ended up. Right. Well, also... My thought, based on what you said about the rescue, the leaky rescue plane that they still sent out, I wonder, is there some sort of, like, I don't know, is it something wrong with those two, like, Powers and Taylor's planes? Mm. That, like, they... didn't do the check right. Yeah, or, you know, if it's just that or if it's some combination of, like a different air composition i i don't know Hmm. um but that they would be affected and like um basically like a lack of oxygen and would that explain why they were like so disoriented and no one in their their planes were was stepping up to be like um actually you know what i mean yeah if i mean that would be a Removing elements of supernatural, but like, yeah, you know, I want like, no, that's interesting because that's a possibility when you're up that high. Like, if there's and these are small, planes. tiny planes because they're only built to carry like one bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's Atlantis, maybe it's just like Milo chilling down there now. <laughs> Guys, if you haven't seen Atlantis. <laughs> This is not the Atlantis episode. I know. I know. But it's so good. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. We've we've gone on many a journey on this Sorry. episode. Hope you enjoyed it, though. I certainly did. But if you would like to see any of the photographs that I have for this episode, um, especially the one that shows you where, they, where the flight path was supposed to be and where they found the 120 mile radius of where they triangulated them to be um, you can go to our instagram at this podcast doesn't exist uh on insta no apostrophe in doesn't because handles um but you can also send us your theories as to what happened yes if you have theories you have thoughts 
You have feelings about Emma's taste in animated cartoon characters. He's beautiful. You all know it. <laughs> Please email us at thispodcastdoesn'texist at gmail.com. Once again, no apostrophe because that's not how the internet works. Yeah. Yeah. I think that about does it for today. So remember, this podcast doesn't exist.